Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Jarrett Stevens. I'm one of the pastors here at Soul City Church, and it's good to be back with you. Uh, we are fresh off of vacation, and so I am well-rested, slightly tanned, and mildly beardy. And uh, I, uh, we are just thrilled to be back. Uh, Jeannie and I were able to, and our kids were able to get a rest and a break as a, as a family that uh, was so great for us. In the midst of a family vacation, we were evil, uh, even able to get on a couple dates together, which is shocking. And so uh, it is good to be back with you here this morning. The last five weeks at Soul City Church have been really transformational for our church and our Voices series. And if you missed any of that, I'd encourage you to go back online and check it out as God has really grown our church in some really deep and profound ways. And, you know, as I was preparing for this weekend, knowing that I've been off from preaching for the last five weeks and seeing how God has grown and challenged and stretched our church on the five weeks that I wasn't preaching, I got very nervous and basically, it didn't help when Jeannie said, you know, look, it's yours to fumble. And so um, with that empowerment, I'm here uh, this weekend. Actually, I'm, I'm really excited to kick off a, a new series to talk about something that uh, we don't talk about enough, but yet every single one of us faces. And it's the whole idea of waiting and why we hate it and why God seems to love it. And this morning specifically, we're going to look at how you and I are waiting for things that God never asked us to wait for. And so before we do that, we're going to do something that we always do here at Soul City Church. We're going to respond to God and his goodness in our lives by receiving an offering. I just want to hit pause before the volunteers come forward and do that, just so you understand. Uh, We do this as a personal response to God. We give back to God because if you're to be really honest and do an honest assessment of your life, you look and go, man, you know what? I have way more than I really need. I may not have all the things I want, but I have way more than I really need. And I believe that those come Those resources, those gifts come from somewhere. And so when we give back, it's our way of saying thank you to God. But it does more than that. This is what's so good about God. It's not only a personal thing that each of us decides to do between us and God. What God does with your gift is absolutely amazing. You know, one of the coolest things is this church, this space, has been given to us rent-free for two years. And God has allowed us to be in space. All the gear and all that tech stuff given to our church. And so what we've been able to do is leverage the resources and gifts that God has given us to deeper uh, invest into the community, to bring folks onto our team that invest into your life, into your growth. And so your little gift, your little decision that you have, that little tension you're feeling between you and God, whether you're going to give or not, a lot of us give online, but we do it in our service as a reminder of how good God is. That tension, just so you know, when you give, God multiplies that gift and has enabled us to be a gift to this neighborhood and to further extend the ministry of this church well beyond these walls. So that's why we do it every week. As we do that, I want to tell you a little bit about what happened over the last uh, 10 days or so as we were gone. And so our volunteers are going to come forward. This is your opportunity to respond to God and to give back to Him. Uh, we surprised our kids. We, they knew we were going on vacation. But what we did is we decided to uh, take them all the way down to Orlando. And there really should only be one reason you go to Orlando. And, uh, and that was why we went there. And uh, we, they thought we were going to the beach, which we eventually did. But what we did is we surprised them. And we took them down to Orlando. And we told them we were going to stay there. And we got you know, a hotel room with a big giant pool and all that kind of stuff. And then the night before, we told them, guys, we have one extra surprise for you guys. You know, we told them, tomorrow we're going to Disney World. And it, it's like, it was like the commercials. And you know, it was so great. And it wasn't enough of a response for Jeannie. Jeannie was like, I want more. I want to cry. I need more. And so we'll work that out later. But... Our kids were so excited, and so we did, uh, it was so much fun for our family to be able to surprise our kids and take them to Disney World. Probably one of the dumbest decisions we could have made, though, practically speaking. 
because 4.8 million people were at Disney World the day that we went, and it was 110 degrees. And so I am someone who, you know, I look at, we have a budget for our vacation, we planned it all out, and, you know, I looked at that and I go, okay, look, babe, here's the situation. I refuse to pay face value for tickets to Disney World. I look at face value for tickets like that and I go, that's for chumps who don't do their research. I'm not going to pay full price. And so I'm like, I'm going to find a way to get us tickets that are are cheap or somehow I'm going to find a way so that we don't have to pay full price. And she's like, whatever, you know, just whatever. And so uh, I I did my research, kind of did some homework, and I found someone on Craigslist. There's not a lot of good stories that come after that, but I found someone on Craigslist who had tickets they had to get rid of. And, you know, I'm going through all my whole scam thing. I'm like, all right, what you, you know, I'm trying to get a whole story from him. It's, It's legit. He had tickets and couldn't use them. And so, so I'm like, this is awesome. So I'm like, look, meet me at the park. We'll, you know, I'll pay you. We'll get the tickets and all that. He's like, well, I can't really meet you at the park. I'm like, all right, sketch alert. Like what? <laughs> but I'm so committed to being a good steward of God's resources. <laughs> Someone call it cheap. My friend, my friend Dave calls it Dutch. But I would... I was committed, like, okay, no, it's worth it, babe. Okay, so here's what we have to do. We can't go straight to the park. We have to go to this other place, but we'll get the tickets, and we'll go, and it'll be great. And sure enough, we're waiting for this guy to show up at this hotel. He's an hour late. And, like, when you've told your kids you're going to Disney World, there is a time, there is a clock that has been set. You have to deliver on that. And so we're sitting in the lobby of a hotel that isn't even ours, waiting for a guy to show up who I don't even know or have never seen before. And I'm like, this may be how I like, lose my authority at our church. Like, this, this is the sketchiest thing. And so I'm calling. I'm like, where are you? What's going on? Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm coming. I'm coming. So it ends up we're an hour and a half late to starting the day at Disney World. So already I'm kind of frustrated going into it. I'm like, this better be worth it. And so I told him when he showed up, I'm like, guess what? That's 10 more bucks off each ticket. So I was able to redeem it and save 40 more dollars off of that. I just, again, want to be a good steward of God's resources. And so... We get to the park, and guess what you have to do once you get inside? Wait. And so they have this thing called Fast Pass. Do you know what that is? If you've ever been to Disney World, you can like go in and make a reservation for your ride. It's absolutely phenomenal. Well, guess what our tickets didn't have access to? Fast Pass. And so we had to wait with the regular people who probably paid full price for their tickets in line at every line. And so we waited already an hour and a half behind, and now I'm like having to wait in every line. And it was very, very, very clear to me afterwards that God was teaching me something very true about myself. I hate to wait. I hate it. I'm in line, literally, and I'm at the happiest place on earth. And I'm like, it's been 30 minutes. I can't believe it. No one should have to wait for Thunder Mountain for 30 minutes. I'm, you know, it's so, and so we had to go to Space Mountain because last time we'd taken our kids to Disney World, we'd gotten all the way up to right before you sort of break in and go to your car. And someone said, hey, 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 is that kid tall enough? Referring to our son, Elijah. And a couple thoughts come to mind. First, it's like, run. Like, go, just get in the car. And I'm like, no, I can't do that. Like, I'm a pastor. And I'm like, spike your hair up. Stand on your... You know, so whatever. So he wasn't tall enough. And so he was so deflated. So for like a year, two years now, it's been, maybe one day I'll ride Space Mountain. Like, it's it's a personal thing, you know? So sure enough, he's obviously tall enough now, and so we take him there. We had to wait an hour to ride Space Mountain. And it's great that it wasn't outside in the heat, if you've ever been there. So that's great that you're not in the heat. The problem is you're locked indoors with all those sweaty, regular people. And it was a challenge for me. And the whole time I'm trying to be happy and stall a six-year-old for an hour waiting for a 45-second ride. 
And I realized sort of as I got to the end of it, and I was you know, looking through the notes and knowing what we'd be teaching on this weekend, that God was giving me a powerful sermon illustration. <laughs> but more than that, he was revealing something true of me. I hate to wait. I hate it. You hate it too, if you're being really honest. None of us likes to wait. You don't like to wait in line. You literally at Target or wherever you are will size up the lines. You'll look at the type of people in lines. You're like, that's going to take a while. They have a cart. They have a handheld cart. You make your decisions. You hate to wait. You hate when someone puts you on hold on the phone. And like it gets very personal to you. It's, they're offending you. You're looking at the time. You're talking to yourself like a crazy person, but you hate to be on hold. What I love about uh, Chicago is so great. We hate to wait for the bus. You know, as you know, frustrating as CTA can be, it's actually one of the more organized public transportation systems of any city in the country, but that's not good enough for us. And so what I love about our city is, even though the bus has a schedule, and it's going to be very close to that schedule, what does everyone in Chicago do? They step out into the street <laughs> and look for the bus, as though that's going to change something. That there's a CTA driver, they're looking at us, and then they'll start coming towards you. It's not, it's not how it really works. We hate to wait, in every sense of the word. We hate to wait. And yet somehow, God seems to love it. And he's incredibly comfortable taking his own sweet time. We hate to wait for God. We hate, I bet every one of us at some point, some way in our life would say, I'm waiting for God to show me this, or I'm waiting for God to show me that. I'm waiting for God to give me direction. I'm waiting for God to kind of bring me to the next point in my life. You know, I'm, I'm waiting for God. And we get very frustrated with God when he makes us wait. But he seems to be incredibly okay with it. And so for the next two weeks, what Jeannie is going to be teaching on and looking at throughout the scriptures is why God loves to wait and what we can do while we wait. That there's actually such a thing as active waiting. And in the last week of our series, the end of this month, Kurt Dougalby, who's on our staff, is going to be teaching about the will of God. And what does it mean to wait for the will of God? And if you've been around church or you kind of know churchy talk, there's a lot of frustration and confusion about what the will of God is for my life. I just don't want to know what God's will is for my life. I just want to do God's will. I want to know what God's will is for my life. Guess what? In a couple weeks, Kurt is going to tell you God's will for your life in 30 minutes. So you do not want to miss it. And I'm so glad Kurt's teaching that one. So that's what we're going to do over the next couple weeks. But that's not what we're going to talk about this morning. This morning, we're going to talk about how it is that you and I are waiting for things that God never asked you to wait for. And not only waiting, but if we were to be really honest, avoiding stalling, even running from God in our waiting? How is it that we get so frustrated and we hate to wait and we hate to wait on God, but we have no issues making him wait on us? We're going to open God's word and explore what that really means for our lives. How is it that we make God wait for us? If we were to be really honest about our lives and, and, and we were able to do that and have a conversation over a cup of coffee, I bet every one of us would have a couple things. We'd say, you know, I really know I'm, I'm supposed to be doing this right now in my life. Maybe with your finances or with a relationship, you're like, yeah, you know, I, I know I'm supposed to do this, but I'm just, I'm just sort of waiting for the right time or I'm waiting you know, for God to open a door. And what I found with my own life and oftentimes my own excuses is that what I'm really waiting for is for God to do hard things for me. I'm waiting for God to make it easier for me. I'm waiting for God to make it obvious to me. And so for every one of us, there are things in our lives where we're waiting for God to do things for us, but God is actually waiting to do things with you. 
We're waiting for God to do things for us in our life, but God is saying, no, 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 I'm waiting for you to do this with me. I've actually invited you into doing this next step, whatever it may be, whatever area of your life, to do it with me. But what we want from God is for him to do it for us. Why? Because life is hard and complex, and none of us want to make a wrong decision. None of us want to do things that are going to be difficult for our lives, and so we'd much rather God make it easy and obvious for us. And God's saying, well, that's, you're just not going to grow that way. What I'm waiting for is you to take the next step with me. I have a friend who, just talking to yesterday, they're in one of those kind of tough financial spots that maybe you find yourself in. They have a house that they're completely upside down in. And like, you know you're in a bad state when you're like praying that it'll go to short sale and you know, you're wondering maybe what, what are the options for foreclosure. Maybe you've gone through that. And it was really interesting the conversation we were having because this is someone who's sort of exploring a relationship with God and coming into this, trying, to, trying to understand what it means to do life with God. And what we found ourselves saying, or he was saying to me, was like, Man, I, know what, I know what I want our financial world to look like. I just have a lot of things I got to get through to get there. It's like, I, I know, like, because I, I, you heard our teaching on money here. It was we teach from God's word on God's desire for our resources. And he's like, I want to do that. I just, I, I got to kind of sort some stuff out first. I was like, all right, all right, okay, I, I, I hear that. I think we all have those. But you know what he was really saying in that moment? God, I know you're inviting me to a next step of getting my financial house in order or even God giving to you even out of the complexity of my life. But you're going to have to wait. You're just going to have to wait, God. I was talking with a friend uh, not too long ago who uh, is trying to come out of a very, very, very unhealthy relationship. And he would actually tell you, this is a really bad relationship. It's really unhealthy, and it's led to some really unhealthy patterns in both of their lives. And you know, I was saying, I, gotta, yeah, I know, I got I to gotta stop. We gotta, I got to call it off. I got to call it off. And then they're back together. Or, you know, I, I know that I got to get some distance, and I know that, man, God really has something for me, and go a couple weeks, and then a couple weeks later, the drama's back, and it's all back, and he knows what the next step is. But what he's essentially saying to God is, you're going to have to wait, and I'm not even totally sure for what, because it's only getting more complex and more destructive, and, but God, you're just going to have to wait. You're just going to have to hold. I have a friend who uh, is part of our church and coming here for a while now and, you know, very open to the things of God but would not call himself a Christian. And there's been a lot of conversation. He's very honest about it. Ah, you know, I'm still, I'm just, I got some questions. I got some doubts. I got to work through some stuff. And, you know, I think honestly, like, hear this in the right way. He's heard enough. Maybe you've heard enough to know and to make a decision about following God. But what he's saying is, you're just going to have to wait. And if for God knows what, I don't even know what for, but you're just going to have to wait for now, God. I hate waiting. God, I hate when you make me wait, but you are going to have to wait for me. And, and as I look at the different interactions that we see throughout the Bible, when it comes specifically to the life of Jesus and the invitation that he gives for people to follow him, the invitations that we have examples of throughout the scriptures, where Jesus comes into the scene, comes into someone's life and says, look, you can, you can follow me. Here is your next step. It is towards me. It is with me. As I've studied the scriptures and tried to understand them and apply them to my own life, I've found that when it comes to Jesus, nothing is neutral. 
There are either examples of people who say, okay, yes, and take their next step with him, or people who say, no, and walk away from him. It's very hard to find. There are very few examples of anyone who goes, interesting points, Jesus. Let me ponder this for a while while you hang out here. It just doesn't happen. People either say, yes, you are the son of God, the savior of the world. I don't even have it all figured out. I don't even know the questions I'm supposed to get answers for yet, but I'll follow you. Or you have people say, no, and not only no, but he must be stopped, and ultimately he must be killed. Nothing is neutral when it comes to Jesus. And I'd love to show you some examples of just that from the scriptures this morning. And so if you would, please grab a Bible that's in front of you, or if you brought your own, please pull that out now. We're going to open to Matthew chapter 4. We're going to look at some responses to Jesus and how it is that there's a choice that we all have, whether we're going to tell God to wait or whether we're going to respond to him right away. Matthew chapter 4, in the blue Bibles, it's page 677. We say this every week. Uh, if you don't own a Bible, uh, this is now your Bible. And in fact, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Um, literally, we mean this, like take this home with you. Steal a Bible from church because we believe this is transforming truth for our lives. Would you grab the pen that's also in front of you there? Because I'm going to have you underline some things from the verse that we're about to look at. And it may seem weird to you, you've never written in a Bible before, especially someone else's Bible. Here's what's great. If someone eventually steals this Bible from church, you're giving them a head start. You're already underlining some things for them, all right? So here's what we're going to do. We're going to read uh, Matthew chapter 4, starting with verse 18. And at a certain point, I'm going to stop. I'm going to have you read back to me. Jesus has just begun his public ministry. So he's just beginning his three years of public ministry before his crucifixion and resurrection. It says this, As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Now you've got to love the Bible. It's making sure that you understand every detail. They were casting a net into the lake because they were fishermen. All right? Now it can seem like kind of like, thank you, Captain Obvious. I get it. But really what's going on here is the Bible is giving you a hint into their identity. They were fishermen. This was their life. This was their world. This is what they'd always known and always done. And Jesus comes into the scene, just like he comes into every one of our lives. And Jesus comes to them as they were casting a net because they were fishermen, and that's what they did. And Jesus said these three words, dangerous, wonderful words, come, follow me. Come, follow me. Now, what we don't know is if they had heard Jesus or seen Jesus, knew about his reputation, his public ministry, again, had just begun at this point. They didn't have the Bible to look to to get the cliff notes of who Jesus was. We don't know what their interaction was. All we know is that he said to them, come, follow me, and I will send you out to fish for people. The metaphor being here, I will transform your life and give deeper and greater meaning to who you are. You will literally see people rescued and brought into relationship with me. What a calling and a vision for their life. But that's all he gave them. And look what the text says. So Jesus says this. I'm going to have you read out the next words. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. What are the next two words? At once. once. That was mildly pathetic. So let me say this again because I want it to be really clear. And these are the words that you're supposed to underline. Like, okay, imagine the Olympics. Like, I'm handing you the baton, okay? And you're going to say these two words very loudly because they're very important for our conversation today. So listen to this. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once. At once they left. At once they left their nets and followed him. At once. Please underline those words. Write them on your hand if you need to. At 
once they left and followed him. But that's not all. I love this. Going on from there. Next verse. Going on from there, Jesus saw two brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father, Zebedee. Again, the Bible spelling it all out for you. Here's all the characters. Again, another clue. They're with their father. This is a family business. This is their life and their world. This was all they knew and would probably ever know. Preparing their nets, and Jesus called to them. Now, what's the next word? Jesus called to them and what? Immediately. Immediately. Please underline that word. Immediately. Immediately. They left their boat and their father and followed him. Jesus comes into their scene, up to their life, their boat, and says, come follow me. He doesn't spell it all out for them, doesn't give them all the details, just, you come follow me. I'll give you real purpose. I'll give you new life. You follow me. And at once, immediately, they did. Doesn't say, we can't see here in the scriptures, there wasn't a process to this decision. Can you imagine them going, "Uh uh-huh, what's your five-year plan? I mean, that's not at all what happened. Had he given them his five-year plan, they certainly would not have followed him. Well, basically, everyone's going to hate you, betray you. Some of you will go to prison, and some of you will be killed for my name. Now, who's coming with me? They might not have so much followed. But Jesus says, come, follow me. They don't stop to make a pros and cons list. They don't stop to process it with their friends. I mean, James and John literally leave their dad in the boat. Like, boys, where are you going? They're just gone. They leave him. They don't. Waste a minute. They're not waiting for anything else. Jesus has said, come, follow me. And immediately and at once, they did. And I think about the moments in my life, big and small ones, where I felt a prompting from God. Or I've known what the right next step is to do. I don't need to even hear from God. I know what God has asked of me or desires for me when it comes to my relational world, when it comes to my own purity, my own integrity. I already know what God desires of me and the life that he has for me. And I think of all the times I've said to God, you're going to have to wait. Not, not right now, God. I, you're just going to have to wait. And how many times I've missed opportunities to immediately and at once follow him. And what I've found lots of times when my, in my waiting is that I begin to make excuses that are really nothing more than thinly <laughs> veiled attempts to avoid a life of faith. I want God to do it for me. I want God to do it for me. And yet here he is saying, no, come with me follow me. I'm not going to give you all the details. I'm not going to spell it all out for you. But the next step is out of that boat and following me. Dropping your nets and following me. Will you do it? Or will you tell the God of the universe that he needs to wait? See, I am amazed. I am amazed at the level of excuses that I'll go through to avoid actually following God. I'm amazed at my ability to stall God, to strong-arm God. I can't stand when he makes me wait, but I have no problem telling him to wait. And that's, thankfully, I know I'm not the only one in the room that does that. And I'm not the only one in human history that's ever done that. 
This is our tendency in our nature with God. We expect him to move on our schedule, but when he invites us to move in his plan, in his way, we are masters of excuses. In fact, Jesus was telling a story to illustrate this point, and I think it's worth us looking at this morning because it reveals our tendency and our ability to tell the God of the universe that he has to wait on us. And so I'd love for you to jump over a couple books to Luke chapter 14. It's page 729 in the Blue Bibles, Luke 14. And we're going to look at a story that Jesus was telling in, in, in his context to explain sort of what the, the kingdom of God is like, the way of God is like. And lots of times Jesus tells these stories called parables that, that give a bigger picture of how things are to be. And he uses metaphors and images to do it. And some of them aren't very familiar to us because they come out of a Middle Eastern culture from 2,000 years ago. But I, I think there's enough in this story that speaks into our ability to tell the God of the universe to wait, that it's worth us reading and looking at from maybe a different angle. Jesus is talking about, in this story, sort of the invitation that God had already given to the people of Israel, the people of God. You can read about their whole story in the Old Testament. It's an amazing story of God extending himself to them and them saying to God, we're going to do it our own way for a little while. We'll come back to you and we totally mess things up. And it's this back and forth sort of relationship and the patience of God, the love of God, and even the anger of God towards a people who continue to tell him to wait. This story that Jesus tells is about sort of them in the background, and then it becomes about us. So Jesus tells a story. A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. Now at the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who'd been invited, come, for everything is now ready. So this is the people who had already made the list, already been invited, already known about the party, and from what we can tell from the story Jesus is telling, it's a great banquet. It's a huge feast. It's a celebration. And so the servant goes out to say, come, everything is now ready. The party is about to begin. Verse 18. But they all alike began to make what? Excuses. See, again, it's not new. We're not the first folks to do this. They began to make excuses. The first one said, I just bought a field and I must go see it. Please excuse me. Now again, I know not many of you came from purchasing fields or lots of land this morning. It's not the exact same for us. But in this context, that meant a lot. It was a huge financial investment. And in this culture, in Jesus' culture, it was an agricultural culture where the land was very valuable and important. And so there is a major purchase that's been made of land. And someone is basically telling the master in this story, I just made a huge financial investment that will affect my family for generations. I haven't even seen it yet, though. I bought it online. So you can, <laughs> the, the excuse doesn't even hold weight because no one would make that big of a financial investment without first going in that culture to walk every inch of that lot of land, to test the soil, to look at the elements and the resources around it. You would never make that big of a purchase without knowing everything about that land before doing it. The excuse holds no weight. But the excuses don't stop there. Moving on. Another person said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Again, not many of you rode here on oxen or have recently purchased oxen, but again, in that culture, to work the land, to, that, that, it would be essentially like saying, I just bought a new car. I don't even know what it looks like. I just gave them $30,000 and said, pick one. Like, you would never do that. You would never do that. 
No one would ever make that big of a financial investment without first having ridden on the oxen, watched the oxen, known their family history. They would know everything about them. The excuse holds no weight. Finally, verse 20, still another one said, I just got married, so I can't come. Now, many biblical scholars have wondered at the hints and intonations that Jesus is making by this reference. And I'm not going to talk about that. (laughs) But what is very clear from that culture is that no one would ever plan two big feasts or celebrations back to back. You just wouldn't do it. Why? Because it was a community-based group of people. The, The community, the town, the village was everything. It was everything. It was your world. And so to say we're going to plan a party the day before or the day of, the same as another party, you would literally split the community to do so. These things were planned out months and months and months in advance. And so that culture, those listeners knew what Jesus is saying, is that this person saying, oh, I just got married. I just, just, we just had our big celebration. I can't make it. The excuse holds no weight. And so look how the story turns. The servant comes back, verse 21, and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the who? The poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. What an amazing turn in the story. Those who had already been invited came up with nothing but excuses that ultimately didn't even hold weight. And so the master says, no, Oh, this is a party and it's a feast. Go and get those who've already been kicked off the list. Go and get those who would never imagine being invited in to a feast and a celebration like this. Go to those who will make no excuses and will look at this invitation as the opportunity of a lifetime. Go and get them. And so the servant does that. Sir, verse 22 What you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, Then go to the roads and the country lanes and to Schaumburg and wherever you need to go and compel them to come in so that my house will be what? Full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. The story, I love, Jesus is very comfortable in his paintings and pictures of who God really is. And what we see here underneath it all at the heart of God is, look, you have been invited. You have been invited. So will you make an appearance or will you make an excuse? Will you make an appearance and say, I'm here to celebrate. I can't believe that God would invite me to be a part of life with him. Or will you make another excuse and miss an opportunity to follow God and to live the life that he's actually created you to live? Unfortunately, I know that feeling uh, all too well. And there have been a few moments in my life where I really felt like God was clearly inviting me into something. The prompting was sort of, you know, was, was clear. All the next steps weren't painted out, but I knew, I knew that this was God. I, you know, you have those things where you're like, I can't explain it. I know I'm supposed to do this. I, I don't know. And I had one of those moments. And I've told the story of how Gene and I met and how maybe you might have heard that, but there's a part of the story that I don't, I don't tell that often because I'm embarrassed of how I acted and how I missed an opportunity of an invitation that God had given me. And what had happened was I had come to a point in my life where I was finally really serious about following God. 
and I'd sort of, you know, cashed out all my religion chips, and I sort of went all into following Jesus. And as a part of that process, one of those clear moments where I felt like God was saying, this is what's next for you, was an invitation I felt from God to serve him through the local church. I love the local church. I love every single church in the city that lifts high the name of Jesus Christ. I really love our church. And I had a heart and a calling and felt like it's clear. The ch- I, I want to my life to be about serving people through the local church. Now, at the time, I was at a state school in California, and their ministry program was not that solid because it didn't exist. And so I knew that like, to be trained for this kind of work, I would have to go somewhere else. I'd have to transfer schools. And so there's a school here in Chicago that's well-known for sort of doing that kind of stuff. And it honestly, it's the only school I knew about that did that. And so for whatever reason, I was in San Francisco. This school was in Chicago. But I came out here to visit it anyway. And while I was here, that's when I met my wife, Jeannie. She wasn't my wife at the time, but she later would be. And so I met Jeannie on that trip, and we fell in love. And it was so clear. And all the momentum of following God was all leading me towards Chicago. And I came back home from that trip I'm like, this is it. This is, what, this is what's next for me. And if you ever have those moments, you're like, I know this is what I'm supposed to be doing. And then so I began to tell people, like, this is what I sense God's doing. This is what's happening next. And this is a big thing. I don't know how it's all going to work, but I can't wait. And I was amazed to find that people who loved God were not as gung-ho about my plan as I was. And people who I'd grown up with, my family and friends, people who were part of the church that I grew up at, began to say, well, how do you know this is God telling you to do that? Like, because he told me to? I don't know. Why are you asking? And like, they began to go, well, there... Why would you have to go all the way there to, to go to a school? You know, we have Bible colleges in California. You could go to one of those and stay here and continue to, to work at the church that you're at. It's the church I'd grown up at. It sure made sense. Why wouldn't I just stay where I was at and continue to keep doing what I was doing and find a little local Bible college? And I can still kind of make good on the broad strokes of the plan. I just would skip the Chicago part, which is really one of the only parts that was clear to me. And I'm amazed and embarrassed to say that I became incredibly good at making excuses for avoiding God and telling the God of the universe he would just have to wait. And what happened was for a year and a half, I not only told God to wait, I literally ran from what was next for my life. And I kind of burrowed in. I said, okay, well, let's just stay here where I'm at. I'm just going to keep plugging away and God's going to be for this, and everything's going to work out great, and it'll all be fine in the end, and I'll be really honest, it was a very, very, very hard season, because there's nothing like knowing that this is the next step for you, and saying to the God of the universe, no. Again, because nothing's neutral when it comes to God. It's either yes or it's no. And here I was telling the God of the universe, you're just going to have to wait, because I'm going to kind of do it this way for a while, and eventually, in his loving kindness, God finally broke me after a year and a half, it broke me. And I finally was able to say, okay, I'll go, I'll go, I'll go. Like Cameron from Ferris Bueller's Day Off, I'll go, I'll go, I'll go, I'll go. Okay, I'll go. And so finally, like, I'll go. And it was hard. In fact, my family, I love them, they know this, I've shared this story, they know this, told me, look, if you go, we, we can't help you financially. Okay. I sat across from people that were spiritual mentors in my life, and they said to me, we don't think this is God's will for your life. I'm like, well, one day Kurt's going to tell you what it is. So <laughs> you can't tell me nothing. So 
it was hard. Oh, and to top it all off, um, I moved here in one of the hottest summers of Chicago's history, only to be beat by this last summer. And I didn't know anyone other than Jeannie here. And it was lonely. And I didn't fit in at the school. The first day, a student reported me for wearing shorts in the cafeteria, which I don't even understand where that verse is in the Bible. (laughs) It was hard. But I did know this. As hard as it was, and as difficult as it was to make that transition to say yes to God, I knew he was with me. I knew he was with me. In fact, Jesus made it very clear to his followers. He said, look, in this world, you're going to have troubles. You're going to have hardships. It will be hard. You will have to make very difficult decisions, but I will be with you. Count on it. And the God of the universe is not sitting there waiting to just do things for you, although he's done so much more for you than you could ever possibly imagine. What he's waiting for is you to do life with him and to take that next step with him. And what I found from that little season of my life and what I found again and again played out through my life is that my faith is never formed when it's all blue skies and green lights. Just, I just don't grow. And that's not faith. Where I've grown the most and where my faith has been stretched the most is when I'm up against a wall and I'm going, God, I don't know where else to go. I don't know what else to do. But I'm going to go with you. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to leave my nets. I'm going to step out of this boat and I will follow you. I will not wait another day. I will not wait till it's obvious or wait till it's easy. I will follow you today. And my hunch is about your life and about mine is there are things even as I've been talking and you've been listening that God has actually been speaking the entire time and you've gone... Yep, there's a relationship that needs to be mended, and I've been waiting till it gets easy, or till they forget that I've hurt them that hard, or till it somehow just goes under the rug. And God, you are prompting and pushing and inviting me in to making it right today, at once, immediately. And there's some difficult decisions you need to make in your finances, and you've been kind of, it's been all over the map. You have great desires and great intentions. But there's promptings and invitations that God has given you. He has walked up to your boat and has said, no, come and follow me. Do it my way. Do it with me. And the choice that you have to make is, will I do it at once, immediately, today? Patterns of sin in your life that you've become incredibly good at making excuses for and justifying and and, and sort of wrapping it all in sort of a, well, you know, we're all broken. We all have our issues. God said, no, I want you to confess and to repent, and to turn away from that sin, and to turn to me today, at once, immediately. And one of the things I love about our church, I love the way God is growing our church, is that this is a safe place to work that stuff out. I, I believe so. Like Our church is a safe place. We're not certainly far from perfect people, but I believe that we are loving and accepting and welcoming people. And I love that people who have been far from God or who have maybe taken a very long extended vacation from God can come back here and feel safe and accepted and welcomed here and have the space to work this out and to take that next step with God. But the last thing that I would ever want as a pastor of this community is to be so safe that we make it easy for you to make God wait. And that you would feel so comfortable that you could go, you know, I'm just working it out. 
And I'm just working it out, and I'm just going to take my time. Especially, 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 especially those of us who've been around this church for a while, or you've been hearing about the stuff of God, and when it comes to making a decision to follow God, I don't want you to wait another day. And God is inviting you to come and do life with him. And just maybe the reason you're here today is because it's time to at once, immediately, say yes to him. I, I love how safe our church is. I love that our starting point group is growing and doubling from the last time we offered it. All that kind of stuff. I just, I don't want to miss the opportunity that God has given me to make sure that you know that you've been invited into a relationship with God and it can begin today. And I know you have your questions and I know you have your doubts, but wouldn't you much rather work those out with God instead of outside of a relationship with God? Wouldn't you rather bring those to God instead of trying to figure God out from the outside? You don't think the disciples had questions and wondered what was next for them? They had no idea what they were in for. But they said yes to following God. And they took that step. And I, I wonder if today is the day that you just say, okay, enough's enough. Today, at once, immediately, I choose to begin a relationship with the God of the universe. I will no longer tell him he has to wait for me. And so I want it to be very clear to you what that looks like. The truth about a life with God and a relationship with God is simply this. There is a banquet that has been set for you. A party. A feast. A life of indescribable hope and joy and freedom that has been made fully available to you. You have been invited to the party. The party is not about you. It's about God but you're invited. Every one of us is invited. And you may look at your life and say, yeah, I'm pretty sure I'm not on the VIP list <laughs> for that party, and I may not even be on the list. In fact, I bought my tickets on Craigslist to get into this party. I don't even know if I should be here. And I get it. But you know what that is? That's just more excuses. And the God of the universe says, no, I've invited you into a relationship with me, and it starts, it can start today. Why would you wait? And this is a place, what I love, this is a church, this is a community where you can work your doubts and work your questions out, but we would much rather you work them out with God in a relationship with him in a loving community of faith. And so what I would love to do is offer you the opportunity to at once and immediately respond to God this morning. Now, for some of us, those of you who are Christians, you, you kind of know what to do at this point, like, you know, you've maybe prayed a prayer and you, you, you're in a relationship with God, but there's other stuff that God's stirring up in your life. So don't, like, think about, like, this is for everyone else. This is for you, too, okay? But God's working out other stuff in your heart right now. But I'm speaking specifically to those of you who've been wondering and exploring what life with God would be like. I want to make sure that you know it can begin today. And so I'm going to pray a prayer, and here's the best thing. You can literally just copy the words and copy and paste what I'm about to say. Pray them from your own heart to God. And a relationship with God begins today. Life with God begins today. And so I'm going to invite the, the band to come up. We're going to spend some time sort of reflecting and, and being quiet and, and listening to God and listening to the truth of the, the reality of this invitation that's been made available to us. The reality of an invitation to life with God that's been made available to us through the death and resurrection of Jesus. And if you have not ever said yes to that invitation... I just want to make sure you don't miss the opportunity to do so today. Are we clear? And so in a second, like when I pray, if you pray this prayer with me, guess what happens? 
you are now a follower of Jesus Christ. And the last service, the 9 a.m. service, to literally sit with people who've been prayed for by people in this church for months and months, to see them literally say, what have I been waiting for? Like, this is actually what God has invited me into, a relationship with him, and to see new life literally begin in an instant. It's a powerful thing. That's your invitation today. God is inviting you to the party. Will you make an appearance or will you make an excuse? So would you bow your heads, close your eyes, do whatever you have to do to sort of keep any distraction away from you right now. And like I said, I'm going to pray a prayer. You can literally just pray these words as your own. And then when I say amen, that's it. I mean, you are entered into a relationship with God through the power of the blood and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And prayer would simply go like this. Jesus, I acknowledge you as Savior and Son of God. I confess that I have sinned and that I am a sinner. I confess that my sin has separated me from you. And I choose today, at once, immediately, to begin a relationship with you. I know that I can only come to you through you. And that my life with you is based upon the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But I accept it today. I choose you today. And I begin my life with you today. No more excuses. No more waiting. In the name of Jesus. Amen. And I want to pray for the rest of our church right now as well. I want to pray for every single one of us. And so God, I pray for my life and for those of us who are gathered here this morning as well. That we would not waste another day or another minute knowing that you have prompted or pushed or invited or opened an invitation of opportunity for us to take our next step with you. That we would no longer make excuses. That we would no longer make you wait but that we would respond to you today. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you that you are actually active in our life and you love us enough not to leave us alone. And that there are things stirring up in our lives right now that we need to respond to today. Pray that you would not only give us insight into what that is, but the courage to actually do it. Give us the faith to follow through. We thank you, God, that you don't just do things for us, but you've invited us to do life with you. God, I pray that that would pour out like a mighty water, a wave washing over our church today, that we would say no more, no more waiting, no more stalling, no more excuses. Today, 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 I choose to follow you, Jesus, for whatever that means and whatever that looks like. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.